welcome to the ETPC team podcast episode number 48 hopefully with myself Anna how are you Anna I'm good thank you good good and Georgia hi Georgia hello how are you I am good thank you very much how are you I am swell thank you very much do you know what I don't know if you've seen this on Instagram but I just found out it was masturbation May I did I did see and I'm looking forward to tomorrow's email <laughs> <laughs> who knew that that was a thing no no <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it got to the 20th of May and I, I didn't notice I blame being on holiday but still um has anybody got anything exciting to, to talk about before we crack on with the questions uh, I got told I look like a train at last so yeah I saw that I saw that and I refrained from saying well what does it look like for someone to train because I didn't want to be an asshole not to you well, I mean he made a point this is Dan because obviously I'm being coached by Dan at the moment and he made a point and said it's because I'm actually training now which is fair <laughs> but I did feel slightly attacked <laughs> But no, it was it was quite nice because it's been five solid weeks of training now. Um, like lifts are progressing nicely, and I don't know about you guys because I don't really pay attention to my body day to day. So when like when I took these check-in photos, I was like, oh, all right then, I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> that's so good. Do you know what? Like we obviously don't talk about it very much because that's not always a main focus for us but it doesn't mean I think people think that it just means you don't care and it's like you can still care and be like I want my body to look a certain way or I feel good with my body like if like you can feel good when your body changes like that's okay we obviously just don't have a big focus on it because it's one of many things and we only talk about it sometimes but I mean I'm just trying to look at your delts in this video but really yeah it, it, was, it was lower today so they're not they're not as good <laughs> excuse I, me I did cardio today for the first time and like well I don't even cardio like I genuinely was thinking about it today like I have no idea I went on the Stairmaster for I, I went well I was going to do 20 minutes and then I did 15 and I was like I find that it's quite challenging so I did <laughs> and a half minutes and then I was like I think that's enough for me today um so I feel I still feel pretty smug about it to be honest I did have leftover pizza for lunch so uh, yeah I feel, <laughs> I feel smug about that too to be frank um but yeah I was in obviously in Scotland this week and I just was in the car yesterday for like 12 hours um so I just feel like you know when you just haven't moved at all you just feel like you're just literally like shoved in a box I feel kind of like that although Stairmaster did not do anything for that feeling at all maybe I should have done some yoga instead but lesson learned no more cardio again for the next <laughs> five years or however long it's been um Okay, let's crack on with the questions. I am going to just sit and answer the questions today. Um, I will, I'll ask one question from some from um, Lynn, but who wants to go, whoever wants to go first, go go wild. Oh, this one is pretty much. I mean, I don't know about Georgia. But I have no experience in it, so this one's kind of aimed at you entirely. <laughs> in that any tips for how to be less anxious when speaking in public I've had to do this more than usual in my job and although I speak clearly and confidently in many aspects of my life when I'm in front of professional work group doing a formal presentation it is almost unbearably it is almost unbearable anxiety mm -hmm. um I know not a nutrition question, but even if I had to do something like your podcast, I know I would struggle to speak confidently. Mm, good question. Um, I would say in general, one, you know more than most of the people that are listening to you. So going, having the mindset of I'm the expert in the room on whatever I'm about to talk about can be really helpful. It's like they, they, you, you're telling them like you are, like I said, the expert and you know the most, even if you don't feel like you know the most. Um, I would say slow down, like speak at half the pace you think you're, you're going at. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen, like noticed this when you public speak, but you automatically speak, speak really fast and because you're just trying to get, get it over with. So you don't have any silences and you just word vomit. Like 
think about how fast you're going and be very mindful of your speed and speak even slower than you feel comfortable speaking like it will feel you'll feel really stupid but even that alone will a be more like clear for other people to understand but b will be um will help like lower your stress response a little bit so you just feel a little bit more grounded and a little bit more present um something that I do like what I, I started doing last year actually when I did online events and when I did the research behind it is the self-compassion thing where you um put like your hand on your arm you can't really do it on your heart if you're on like a stage and speaking to people but you can put your hand like on your forearm and just like have that physical touch and just the act of physical touch alone can help reduce your stress response so if you feel like you're sweating and your heart rate is up whilst you're still talking just take a like take a breath you're allowed to take a breath they're not going to notice you breathing and put your hand just like on your forearm or somewhere where you've got skin even if you put it like on your like stomach or your back or something um just to kind of ground you again it's just about I think keeping coming back and, and, and getting grounded and the more you do it the less scary it gets I think I don't know like you guys have like Anna you've definitely done speaking uh yeah <laughs> not many <laughs> but I am I am so guilty of speaking so fast like the first five ten minutes and then as I ease into it I calm down yeah realize that people might not actually understand me <laughs> but no before the last one because I did one for a friend of mine did a kind of wellness retreat online um and we were having a, obviously it was all on zoom um earlier in the year and <laughs> she was helping me we were having a chat before everyone joined and I was just like I'm gonna have to do some breathing right now <laughs> it does work though I wish I'd known like that tip when I was doing my PhD and I was like that and I've sweat through all my clothes I wish <laughs> I'd known like the few little things of like just taking grounded breaths and the self-compassion stuff and yeah I wish I'd known but I think going into it thinking like think with you 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 know the most out of your topic that's why you're speaking on it it's just always the fear that there's someone else that just happens to know a little bit more and then they quiz you on it I think that's the fear because realistically what is the fear from just from having people look at you or is it from being wrong it's always useful to figure out the figure out the reason behind it and think about like alternatives so what's your worst case scenario here what are the chances of that happening what alternatives could there be to the situation and actually going through those types of things can be helpful yeah cool you've got a question Georgia I have so many questions. Um, I'm going to lead with this one just because I think it's going to be really relevant to lots of people with everything kind of looking to open up fully. Um, so how do you deal with food anxiety in this new normal, particularly now that dining indoors is back on the table? I find myself being scared of going out to eat multiple times a week, but equally aware that this is what I wanted for a whole year and also knowing that it could be taken away at any point. I feel guilty when a week resulted in three dinners out, so one burger and two pizzas, even though they were all social occasions and I ate as mindfully as I could. Um, I'm going to say for this question, we covered this in the last two podcasts. Mm -hmm. I'm mindful of going over it again, I think. We've done, yeah. I would say to this person, listen to the last two podcasts. So we're 48 now, right? So listen to 47 and 46 because we covered that in a lot of detail. Um, unless anyone has anything to add to it. Other than, and they've mentioned it in the question, uh, you've waited a year for it. And like you said, at the moment, especially as things are not looking brilliant again with this new variant, let's just really appreciate going out and being able to. Mm. Have any of you had your vaccine yet? I've had one and I'm due my next next month. Oh, you're on it. Have you had yours, Georgia? No, my first one's next week. And then the second one is August. Oh, you've got your second one booked. My first one's next week too, but I don't have my second one. Hold up, am I not the oldest here? That's not, that's not. I'm older than right. you. I think we're about the same up. <laughs> I admit. <laughs> I'm the elderly one. <laughs> no, my, my GP made a faux pas and have they have me down as a diabetic. And even though in January, before they were rolling out the vaccine, I did correct it. They've still invited me. So. That's a pretty big flaw they've got there. 
I know, I know. Uh, I only knew about it because I got invited for a uh, an annual diabetic eye test. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you could have been uh, getting insulin on the side and then selling on the black market. Well, I mean, they still have me down, clearly. So, <laughs> oh, that's bad. Oh, oh well, Georgia, we're on, we're on par. Um, okay. Training question instead. Go for it. We haven't had a training question in a while. Um, tips to keep focused and concentrating during training. I tend to lose count of my reps, and my mind flies off elsewhere during training. Uh, I'm going to say because uh, I can very much relate obviously not this time around um, <laughs> in that training is your time and you're doing it for a reason whether that's headspace whether you're looking to build muscle get strong improve posture whatever it is this is your time and your focus um, and obviously if she's doing training with you um, and the plan from you then I'd say each exercise you want to be focusing on my muscle connection and getting a good feeling from it. Um, and if you're not focused, then chances are you're not, you're not going to be using the muscle as well as you could do and just going through the motions instead. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think without sounding like a grind harder bro person, if you have goals from your training, which you might not, you know, if you're just going in to move your body and feel good about it, fine. Like let your mind wander if you want, but one of the, big wins of training is that it can be quite meditative and immersive when you're when you are actively counting reps when you're actively focused on mind muscle like that is quite immersive and meditative so that's a big win but if you don't care about changing your body composition or your strength um then you don't need to technically progress um as long as you're not regressing but ultimately if you do have those goals then it's one of those things where it's like you do need some discipline with saying right I have to progress in the, these numbers and I can say like I'll, I'm quite flexible with my training but I still will make sure that the, my main compound lifts are progressing every single week even when I'm like I'm not like proper into my training those are non-negotiables for me and for that to happen I have to be counting my reps I have to be focused and I think that it's really easy to look at other people and think well they're not filming their exercises and they're not talking about it all the time so they're not pushing that hard but anyone I know who's made any sort of body composition changes pushes themselves hard in the gym I'm so sorry that, that was mentioned in the grind harder chat oh my god oh dear um hi dog it's been a while um yeah I think I think some of it does come down to self-discipline a little bit and, and so what what's your dog called? Rocco. Rocco agreed. Oh my god. He's a nightmare. Need to soundproof the room if you're staying here longer. <laughs> oh, it's oh. fine. It's just an addi extra addition. Um yeah, so I'd, I think that's what, what I'd do. Um I quite often have a morning break at work where I eat a Kit Kat. My colleague and I love them. Don't often feel hungry, but I love the Kit Kat and enjoy the break with my friend. Is it mindful or mindless? Am I overthinking? Okay, um, I'll go. Um, yeah, I think it's it's mindful if you're present, you're enjoying it, you think about the taste, you're taking your time with it, you recognise that you're eating it. That's mindful. Um, you, it's okay to eat when you're not really hungry. And I think, I think when you first get into the more mindful side of things, you think that you you really try and hone in on only eating when you're hungry and stopping exactly when you're full. And you can fall into the trap of being like, well, I'm not really hungry now, but I know I'm not going to eat for this many hours. So what am I supposed to do? And actually you put a really good post about this earlier, Anna, um, that it's okay to say, I'm going to eat now because I'm not going to be able to eat for another five hours. And I know that I'll be really hungry, even though I'm not quite hungry now. So yeah, I'd say if you're if you're present, then then that's great. And who doesn't love a Kit Kat? And if it's part of your socialising <laughs> as well, like if it's a social thing, that's a healthy thing to do. It's not necessarily just about the food. Yeah, exactly. 
George's question? Oh, it is me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay. Tips for eating mindfully when you're eating with a really fast eater. I find that I feel pressured to keep up and I really struggle to remain mindful when eating with people that eat a lot faster than me. Mm, I would say the pressure is coming from you. The pressure, no one has put any pressure on you to eat quickly except yourself. So why are you putting pressure on yourself to eat that quickly in the first place? It makes absolutely different, no difference to you how quickly someone else eats. Um, this is something that you, this is a story that you've told yourself that says, I need to eat as quickly as them. Why is it, what, what is the rationale for that? Is it because you feel rude because you're not eating at the same pace as them? Is it because you prioritize their needs to eat that quickly over your own needs to eat at your own pace? Is it because you feel uncomfortable being the last one eating and you don't like people watching you eat? Figure out why it is because that's all coming from you. That's not coming from anyone else. So you really need to think about what your rationale is for doing that. Um, and then obviously all the usual mindful eating tips that we talk about regularly, they still apply, but there's definitely a reason there that you're telling yourself that you have to do that. Mm, yeah, completely agree. It's pressure you're putting on yourself. But equally, and I had this with a boyfriend and I invited him to join me for a mindful meal and slow the heck down. <laughs> I remember that. Was was that when we were? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. It was like, and I think it was, it was, I became aware that I was still eating and he'd finished. And I was like, oh, making me feel a bit rushed. And so the next time I was like, no, let's sit at the table and talk and slow down and enjoy the food. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> exactly. I like that idea. Um, oh, I saw something on Instagram yesterday that said women should always eat before they work out. Usually I see women should always and immediately it's a red flag because I don't trust people who make blanket statements like that. I usually work out fasted because I train at 5am and I'm not hungry at all. And usually if I eat something, it feels like it just sits heavy um occasionally I can stomach a banana before doing legs but something I don't usually notice a difference am I limiting myself I feel fine working out this way sometimes I feel a little extra fatigue if I'm having a harder session but I would probably feel that way if I ate something too thoughts for the record I eat a large breakfast with within an hour of training with lots of protein and carbs I like that style of the immediate critique of women should always. Yeah. <laughs> big fan, big fan of this. Um, you're hindering yourself slightly in, in that your performance is generally going to be a bit better if you've had some food beforehand and specifically some carbohydrates beforehand. Especially after an overnight fast, your muscle glycogen stores are going to be a bit depleted, um, potentially completely depleted, depending on when you last ate. So your training will be impacted. That being said, the, the impact on it is not going to be huge if you get used to it. Um, and actually, it comes down to like weighing up, well, what's more important? Because if you vomit when you're training because you're not used to eating, then that's going to impact your training more than just not having the carbohydrates beforehand. And I say this as somebody who did a full comp like competition season, training and doing cardio at 5 a.m. before eating and being in the gym for two and a half hours before I got home like this so it's, I, I, I would recommend people always try and eat a bit of something eat a bit of carbs before training but in that situation at 5am when you don't enjoy eating at 5am like I think don't worry about it but that being said if you're somebody who is chronically stressed somebody who has any sort of menstrual cycle irregularities then I would always recommend eating before training and but that's that's not all women and um, that's just some women um important distinction to make as ever um yeah but you can't deny that it will be impacting your performance to some degree mm. i think I, I don't know whether it was when we were talking about dieting or not um but something you said that always stuck with me and is and it was um like just imagine how great your training session is when you've actually fueled yourself mm. and maybe that maybe that's a way to go about it and 
even if it's not a 5am session when it's you've got more free time to have a pre-workout meal notice well see if you notice any difference to your performance yeah for sure I think as well like the gut's trainable and something when we you know when I used to work with elite athletes and they had to have a really high carbohydrate consumption a lot of the time it would be like I just can't eat that amount of carbohydrates when I'm training or when I'm competing and we would taper it up and the gut is adaptable to that so if you're someone who just tells yourself that's not this person I don't think this is literally a a 5am get out the door type of situation totally understandable fully understandable but if you're someone who says I just don't I just don't feel great eating before training like really think about is that actually true or do you think you could start with something small like soaring a nice saurine and then um, like build it up rather than just saying I just definitely can't do it because your gut is adaptable and if you start having something small and building up you probably will be probably will be fine with that and it does really help your performance. Do you know what's just made me laugh so much about that is um I don't know if you remember there was some time 2019 when um you were coaching me and there was a couple of weeks where you're like oh your lifts have kind of plateaued and I was like I know I've gone from training in the daytime to training first thing in the morning and it was before eating and I was just tired and <laughs> like technically my lifts were still like as good as they could be because I hadn't eaten anything yet and I think my compromise because I had to get up and get out and I didn't really want to compromise any more sleep it was um drinking coffee on the way to the gym and eating saurine in the car <laughs> and then suddenly my numbers started to go up just a little bit that's my uh, that's my t- tactic as well on a Thursday and Friday at the moment I'm like I've got a monster in the car and the saurine the saurine slice <laughs> if it just works in time a little background interlude (laughs) (laughs) and I want to be lighter for performance specifically for running and fell running but I don't want to restrict too much to prevent binging is this doable this client is working on food relationship at the moment as like the priority um it's possible it depends on it depends on how long you've been binge free for so in general I wouldn't recommend restriction at all when you within three or four months of binge eating in in general as a a kind of guideline um and I'd say but what I would say is that if you are in that stage and you think oh that means I can't think about fat loss yeah we're not prioritizing it but if you're stopping binge eating you'll probably see a drop in body fat anyway um as a result of that sometimes not always sometimes what we do is we see is that when you get start to give yourself unconditional permission to eat at that point that actually maybe you gain a little bit of weight initially but that always comes back down again almost always comes back down again so um it does depend where you're at but that but i think as well it's really hard to see beyond that first initial goal of let's get our relationship with food back on track but think about like that's that's three or four months at the moment right say but what about the next six months what about the next year like this is not the be all and end all it's not that you can never ever lose body fat again um it's just it's just something to be mindful of and you'll do it in a in a mindful like not overly restrictive way like to use myself as an example i couldn't diet now really i, I don't as soon as i diet now within a week i'm like eating pizza and I'm just like I just don't really want to do this and so I don't really diet but I could definitely lose body fat now if I wanted and it would just literally be right I'm just going to eat tons more vegetables and be a bit more on it with my protein and do some cardio and I would drop some body fat because but if I was rigid with it I could well go fall back into overeating again I mean it's unlikely but you never know so it, it just doesn't have to be the way that it was before um so yeah in short it is possible for sure yeah nothing nothing to add (laughs) nothing to add uh where are we will the urges to binge go once i have learned not to act on them or will they only go if i find the root cause and deal with the underlying issues good question Mm. um 
the urges are not going to go if you stop acting on them they will reduce what what you're doing when you stop acting on them is kind of in the moment let's see what we can do to stop that from happening so things like surfing the urge and implementation intentions these types of things are stopping the effect but they're not tackling the cause um and so the cause could be multifactorial it could be restriction it could be dietary restriction it could be um emotional restriction it could be calorie restriction it could be something completely different in regards to um emotional regulation it could be it's usually it's usually emotional regulation but it doesn't have to be like this huge unmet need it doesn't have to be like this huge trauma-based response it could be actually that you just don't really deal with your feelings at the moment and as you just become better at feeling your feelings and dealing with them like it's it dissipates whilst you're doing all of the other work so it's not I think sometimes you think that you're going to just have this light bulb moment where you go, that's why I'm doing that. And now it's never going to happen again. Like awareness is great, but actually it's all the tools that you're putting in place, like the in the moment stuff, the lack of restriction, the journaling, all of the feeling of your feelings, all of this stuff is the action. And we need that more probably than we need the awareness, but you know, we need both. So I don't think the urges will go like fully go unless you deal with the reasoning behind it in my opinion I don't know if anyone agrees or disagrees rather no I I agree I mean we both speak about how it's well we all speak about sorry George (laughs) we all speak about how it's okay to emotionally and in that sense there's still going to be the urge to for comfort or whatever else it is um there's still going to be that urge and like you said, it's utilizing all the tools and that awareness of what you're doing and why you're doing it. Yeah. I also think just kind of as a side note, I suppose, like it can feel like the urge to binge is never going to go away. Like it, and I'm, even if you feel like you've got your binge eating under control, you can often still feel like that urge is just always going to be there. And you're always going to be this person that wants to overeat and you have to actively stop yourself. But that's not the case. And like we can testify to that and we have clients testify to that. And the recovery from that urge is absolutely possible. It just does take a lot of time and a lot of consistency with it. Not a lot of time, but more time than an eight week diet, for example. Me again. Yep. Um, how to remain mindful even when eating in loud and busy situations so this lady works um i think in a call center and their breaks are very very short and it's a very busy break room Mm. yeah plug in some headphones and take some like grounding breaths beforehand so it's kind of her space her time yeah i think i agree i think so when I when you do like proper mindfulness meditation, it's not about saying um, I'm going to sit in a silent room and nothing. I, I'm just going to be at peace, and it's not about that. It's about saying I recognise that the birds are going. I recognise that there's lorries outside my house. I recognise the sirens going past. I recognise that my phone keeps going off, but I can sit here and say I'm still present in this moment and I'm not being distracted by these things and I keep coming back. So when you're in like a really crowded room with people, it's not that you can't it's not that it's you can't be mindful it might be more challenging at least initially but the skill is that you can see I recognize that these people are chirping on and Susan's doing whatever she's doing by the microwave and the phones are ringing outside I recognize all of these things but what's what I'm doing right now is sitting and I'm looking at my food and this is what my food looks like and I'm tasting my food and this is what it tastes like imagine like imagine you're in like the what's it like the eye of the storm where it's all going on around you and you're just in this kind of inner peace place and inner peace is such a wanky term (laughs) (laughs) I can't think of a better term right now um but you're in that space and that's what mindfulness is so it does take skill and meditation can be really good for fostering that idea because you whenever you feel like you hear all of those things it's like okay that's a noise there and you know when you do yoga and eat and stuff before bed they act actively often will say 
think about the sounds that you hear far away from you like or notice the sounds you hear far away notice the sounds that are in your left ear and your right ear and it, all of that is about not identifying or being distracted by the sounds it's just about saying that's going on and that's going on and I'm here so it's a good it's challenging but it's a really good skill to develop and it's the same for people that have kids um and are like sorting out families and stuff at the same time it's more challenging but it's definitely doable I also think it's like the key there is coming back so it's not like an ability to not at all be distracted and 100% be focused but it's just noticing that when you have been distracted like by whatever conversation is going on next to you or whatever that you can take that moment to be like oh I realize that happened now and then you can still come back to it rather than getting swept up in it it's it's not like an all or nothing it's an ability to kind of come come back each time yeah definitely um, I have felt really good in myself this week and starting to notice more muscle definition and strength gains in the gym, which I'm loving. Thanks to my programming, let's be honest. <laughs> so you take a bow. <laughs> Alongside this, I have been practicing body compassion and appreciation outside of appearance. My question is, can you strike a balance between healing your relationship with food and how your body looks, but still feel really confident, proud when you see muscle definition or aesthetic improvements? I don't want to place too much emphasis on how my body looks, but I also want to acknowledge that I think I'm looking pretty good at the moment too. <laughs> I just don't want to get too caught up in praising myself for looking toned as I don't want this to make me start, make me want to start dieting or overly controlling my food again. Mm. well you're good you're in a good place to answer this question from <laughs> feedback I so bit of background for this client in that since we've started working together we've removed tracking that was the first thing that we did and because she's eating more mindfully and learning to listen to hunger cues and fullness signals and just listening to her body in general she's fueling herself and that's having a knock-on effect in her training. Um, and I think it's good to acknowledge when you're making progress because it's not wrong to have aesthetic goals, even whilst you're working on improving your body image and improving your relationship with food. You're working hard in the gym and you're seeing the, like, the results of your, your hard efforts. So there's nothing wrong with acknowledging it and being proud of, of your achievements yeah I agree it's like you don't have to be I know that because of social media it's like you have to be one or the other you have to be body positive body neutral anti-diet or fat loss body aesthetics you can be absolutely both and I think all of us slide on that scale at various times um and it's absolutely okay to care what you look like like if you take a step back away from your body it's like you put makeup on often, you do your hair, you buy clothes that you want to buy. And it's like, you do that because you want to feel good. And it's okay to say, uh, like, I'm proud of the muscle that I'm building, or I'm proud that um, like I'm changing my body thanks to the training that I'm doing. Like, that's okay. As long as it's not, my worth is in my body, and my worth is in my appearance, and I'm training only to change my body. And my nutrition is mindful to the point where as long as it's supporting my body composition it's fine but if if it's not any more than I don't want to do it like it's about being I think aware of that and aware of how much it is taking over your thoughts but it is absolutely okay to say yeah my my body shape is changing and I'm really proud of that and look at yourself and say yeah look fit that's totally okay um and I feel you say go go for it if you feel fit tell yourself you feel fit because it doesn't last forever <laughs> also, there's nothing conceited about objectively just appreciating how your body looks like that's not a bad thing to do at all and I think part of like um having a positive body image that encompasses taking care of your body as well like physically by by moving it and by eating well so that, is, that can still be a part of your positive body image that you, you can appreciate that part. Yeah. For sure. Oh, Amelia, 
this one might be specifically for you. It's not, it's not nutrition or training related. It's why do men gaslight? Should <laughs> <laughs> we, we just move on to a whole new podcast? Or? <laughs> um, because they have deep rooted issues in control and probably abandonment. Um, and often because they have egos the size of the world. Um, lots of reasons. It's control, isn't it? Gaslighting for people that don't know is I'm going to actually look up the official definition so that I don't slander it because that would not be great. Um, I'm sure Urban Dictionary will have <laughs> definition. Um, gaslighting is a form of psychological abuse where a person or a group makes someone question their sanity, perception of reality or memories. People experiencing gaslighting often feel confused, anxious and unable to trust themselves. And I, I don't know about you guys, certainly been in my experience that it's happened to me multiple times. Um, and it's a form of emotional abuse. Um, and it's quite kind of used colloquially, I think now, gaslighting. It's like people seem to kind of just jump to it. But I also think that people now that we're more aware of it are just more like, oh, well, that happened to me. I didn't realize that's what it was. Every time that men, and I'm being very heteronormative here, so it's, I'm talking from personal experience, but every time someone, caught, like if a man calls a woman crazy because she has an emotional response, well, within her rights to have an emotional response, when men call you crazy and like insane for the types of things that you're feeling or seeing, that's a like that's a form of gaslighting. And it's things like I'm trying to think of an example. I'm trying to think of an example. It's like if someone said something to you, say a man said to you, or a person said to you, um, made a statement to you, and then the next day you said you said this, and then they say, No, I didn't. You're like, no, I heard you say it. And they say, No, I didn't say that. And then you and then you that happens repeatedly over time and you go well maybe I am losing my mind maybe they are right and it's just a form of manipulation and it's a form of control and it's absolutely disgusting and someone did it to me recently actually who I'm not in a relationship with um a male in this industry and um he is in the wrong in a certain situation and he said to me um you have changed and you've taken it out on me um and said else did he say basically just flipped the situation around that there's no way of flipping that situation around um and to me when someone gaslights it's a very clear sign that they are they have some serious issues they could potentially be a narcissist they could potentially be a sociopath they could potentially be lots of other things and we can be very mindful when we see these red flags now that that's that is a red flag and it's not the type of red flag that we share memes about Actually, I don't really anymore, just privately. Um, but it's not the type of red flag that we're like, oh, that's quite fit. Like, these are red flags that you want to be like, if someone makes you feel like you're losing your mind, then then you're not you're not losing your mind. This is that's a form of gaslighting and it's toxic. It's a toxic situation. Um, but it's because these men are weak. That is the answer in short. <laughs> yeah. Or these men, I say men, women anyone that does it it's not again I'm being very heteronormative here but it's it's any gender or non-gender non-binary anyone <laughs> change of pace <laughs> <laughs> do genetics play a part in how lean you can be with mindful eating like genetically some people's appetites will always be higher does this limit how lean you can get while trying to mindfully eat if that makes sense probably coming from a diet place in my head and I'm just excited at the thought of sustaining a good shape with no restrictions mm. well genetics will play a role in how lean you can get genetics will play a role in your hunger genetics can play a role in your neat levels um so genetics can play a role in your in where you're at in terms of your body composition in terms of your actions that contribute to your body contribution contribution i.e how much you eat and how much you expend um if you're truly mindful eating like truly mindful eating honoring your hunger and fullness that's going to be your limiting factor because you're not going to get to a level of lean that requires you to 
like you have to sit with hunger to get to a certain level of lean and if you're truly mindfully in you can't sit with that level of hunger because you have to at some point honor that so uh, but that's not a genetic thing um you can certainly maintain a quote-unquote good shape shall we say mindfully eating and genetics are not going to play a role in that like yes your appetite might be a little bit higher but also you might you know, I mean you might move a little bit more you might fill out your meals with volume and like fats a little bit more so you're more satiated um but I guess genetics plays a role in all of this stuff it's just the degree to which is not huge like if we think about metabolic rates they differ by a couple of hundred calories max between people of the same um like gender age body size etc so like that's just one thing like it's not a huge it's not a huge impact there's this gene that called the fto gene that's related to um hunger regulation and if you have it's one of the kind of well researched ones in regards to appetite and body fat levels and if you have two copies of the gene the average weight that you are heavier by is three kilograms and if you have one copy of the gene it's one and a half kilograms so it's not like genetics is playing like this huge role this is kind of a couple of kilos probably not anything drastic yeah <laughs> I think you've covered that one. I'll jump in with Lynn's question whilst just now. So Lynn had a question saying, seeing other people's progress photos seems to make me feel worse about my own progress than the intention of motivating others. Is this normal? And do you think they can be another bad thing on social media? I think we've we've spoken a lot about this, how potentially damaging transformation photos can be. Mm. Um, and we've, well, we've, all, we've, I think if you check out any of ours, you'll see that there's barely any transformation photos anyway, because I think we're aware of that. And yeah, I, 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 I don't tend to put them on. It's not, but the thing is, is people are not putting transformation pictures up in general to, to uh, motivate others. If there's a, a, a caption there that might be motivational, like, you know, in the past when we've done it, it's less about saying, look at this body, you can get this body. It's more about saying, this is the journey this person's been on. That being said, like, again, we don't really post them. Um, these fat loss programs that are selling transformation pictures all, all the time, they're not doing it to motivate you. They're doing it to make money. I think that's like it's really important that we recognize this and if it's triggering all you're doing is feeding into them making money as opposed to making yourself feel good or being inspired by them um and we know from social comparison theory that the when you compare you quote unquote compare upwards to people who have things that you maybe aspire to that can be really demoralizing and for some people it's motivating but for the majority of people it's demoralizing so that's probably why it is triggering you and also think about the idea that you're looking at people's bodies that are semi-naked whilst you're trying to work on your body image and improve your relationship with food and a lot of that is coming from not being preoccupied with your body in the way that it looks so if you're constantly um, exposed to bodies that's just contributing to you thinking about your body over and over again which is another reason why it's triggering I also think the more you like get exposed to those transformation photos, the more you're influenced in deciding like what your end point should be or what your goal should be. So potentially, like I use myself as an example, like but before I was like ex exper experienced, exposed to like bikini competitors and like bodybuilding.com like when I was younger. Before that, it hadn't really crossed my mind to be super shredded. Like that wasn't something that had really been a part of like what I thought was an ideal body image and then the more I saw that and the more I worked in the fitness industry the more I started to believe that, oh, that is what I should look like as a personal trainer that's what I should be aspiring to and then the more you notice it the more you see it and then the more pages like that you start to follow um and that was never a goal of mine <laughs> and it didn't come from me um I never actually went on to compete so like it's not like I followed it the whole way there but like you might have people that 
for them, they just want to go for a certain level of health and they start seeing these transformation photos and they start to associate that with health. And then their idea of their endpoint is completely skewed compared to actually what they really wanted to achieve in the first place. Yeah. Um, and that's not motivating in any way. Yeah, for sure. Like think about back, think about the 1960s, right? Let's go with the 60s when nobody had phones, people's bodies were not all, all over the media you couldn't go on to, on the internet to look at people's bodies you literally were comparing if you were comparing to your friends to people around you and okay maybe in the 60s they were more naked than general but most of the time people were not semi-naked like you literally you couldn't compare yourself to people because you weren't seeing these bodies everywhere and now it's just absolutely everywhere we go It'd be weird in a day if, you, if I didn't see a naked body on my on either on my Instagram or on the internet or well I see it checking sometimes but you know um it, like I don't know if a day apart from when I was in Scotland a day would go by where I, you don't see a naked body in some way or semi naked body I should say I'm not yeah doing anything I shouldn't be doing <laughs> <laughs> just make that one clear um whose question is that. Uh, I think it's me. This one is how to not be a control freak. I struggle when I don't have control over everything that's going on. I did a post on this yesterday in in kind of learning to control the controllables and identify what you've got control of and what you've not got control of. And if you haven't got control of the situation, or the circumstance you're in, then you need to let it go. And if you have full control or partial control, then kind of identify what you can do and then refocus and and work on, on what you can do to, to help that situation. Yeah. Um, there's this idea of radical acceptance, which is kind of what Anna's saying in regards to um accepting the controllables and the non-controllables and it's we have a resource for it on with our clients but it's like the difference between if you go outside and it starts pissing with rain like you can say yeah it's raining I hate rain my hair like my hair's gonna be ruined my day is now ruined why is the weather always like this I hate Britain or you can say it's raining and and what you physically can't change it and I think when it comes to that idea of control, it's like sort of just saying it is what it is and I accept what it is and I will take action in line with what I can control, i.e. I'll bring an umbrella and I won't straighten my hair that day because there's no point and I'll have a little bit of extra sleep. And there's something really empowering about saying I'm going to take control over what I can and radically say, radically accepting what I can and radical acceptance will look like... Um, like saying, right, these are the things that I can't control. Notice that you feel anxious or you feel uncomfortable that you can't control certain things. Um, and then saying, right, I accept this. I, you know, we also quite like breathing into certain situations, breathing into gratitude, breathing into compassion, all these things, but literally breathing in and saying, like, I can't control this. I accept this for what it is. Um, there's no point in, there's no point in crying over the rain when I can't change it that type of thing um and then saying right i'm going to put a plan in place that helps me control what i can control i i'll leave my umbrella by the door tomorrow and i won't just, like i said i'll sleep a little bit extra tomorrow so that i don't straighten my hair that type of thing um because um i forgot i, I don't know what that sentence was going to be it's just went out of my head i think i'll stop that sentence there <laughs> um yeah uh, do those with PCOS have a lower BMR uh, slash amount of calories they need? Are they always prone to weight gain? Um, usually people will have a lower BMR, but like on average, I tend to see people roughly sit in with like a 10 to 20% lower BMR. So if you work it, like if you're thinking about Say your maintenance calories are 1400, maybe it brings it down to 12 and a half, 1300. Main, uh, sorry, be, like basal metabolic rate, not maintenance calories. 
basal metabolic rate and then bringing it up to maintenance calories that's probably going to be about 100 calorie difference in terms of maintenance calories so it's not a huge amount it can but they can increase up to about 40 percent but if we look at the research like that 40 percent number has only been shown in one study it's not robust and we don't see this this blanket huge reduction in bmr that's just one bit of research so yes it your bmr is probably going to be a little bit lower um but it doesn't mean that you have to gain body weight and also there's two different types of pcos there's lean pcos and overweight and obese pcos and lean the lean phenotype they're not prone to being um in a larger body versus the obese and overweight that are um but with PCOS you do get there's a, there's an increase in association between PCOS and um, low mood emotionally and binge eating and low body image so we have to be really mindful of that and say well you're potentially often it's because these things all come together right so if you experience one then you might experience the other ones but it's something to be mindful of that if you're maybe more prone to binge eating then you're more prone or more likely to be in a larger body. Um, and then you're potentially more likely to have, to experience depression. So it can be really tough. And this is not to be a disempowering thing because it doesn't take away your power to do all of the things that we would normally do. Um, and actually with the, most of our clients, they experience some, something on, on the spectrum, regardless of whether they have PCOS or not. Um, so yes, you are more likely to be in a larger body, Yes, you are more likely to have a slightly lower BMR, but it's not—it's not, it's not a, unlikely to be a drastic amount. Although in extreme cases, it, it might be. I think that might be my last question. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> How much of an impact does sleep have on weight loss? decent amount um so <laughs> no i can't give you a specific number but it will impact your neat levels it will impact your hunger levels it will impact your ability to train well with good intensity it will impact your stress levels it will impact therefore your risk of emotional eating it will there's a there is some research that suggests that if you've got two groups of people in a deficit one with um much less sleep quality and quality quality and quantity that even when calories are matched they are more likely to drop body they're more likely to lose lean tissue as well as body fat versus a group that gets good quality sleep they are less likely to lose lean tissue so in a nutshell it can really impact your fat loss and, and in general just your stress levels and your health so sleep should always be a priority where possible of course there are people who have jobs and babies and everything else and you know we're not naive to the fact that that's very challenging but if you the way if you can figure out a way to improve your sleep quality and quantity then it helps everything really again again (laughs) (laughs) um absolutely loving working with you guys so far it's only been a month that feel like this is where i'm meant to be just wondered if you had any psychology podcast recommendations or any podcasts for that matter of course I already listened to yours oh that was a nice message I recommend um Joe's podcast the head first podcast um I mean I've not listened to a lot of it but I was on it so I recommend it I, I respect Joe so I would recommend that so that's the head first podcast um what do you guys have any not not psychology no I mean I when when you did the uh workshop with him I told you I could just listen to him all day but that's I mean he's a great guy but I do have a thing for an Irish accent so well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think head first is the only psychology one that I actually listen to I'm just trying to go through my list and see if there's any others I think that's my only psychology one I agree. If you're looking for ones around like more mindsety stuff, as opposed to psychology, I'm looking at a bookshelf in the hope that I'm seeing something. Um, thing like obviously Renee Brown's podcast is great for that. Um, 
Oprah's podcast, old podcast, used to be pretty good for that. Um, yeah, I don't really listen to psychology podcasts really at all. Um, the Iway podcast, sometimes they have psychologists on there. Yeah. So that was relatively useful. The the 10% Happier podcast, I think, is quite good. They often have people on there. Like they've had Kristen Neff on there who talks a lot. Obviously, she's one of the key researchers in Compassion. That's quite a good podcast. I mean, I've not listened to it probably in about a year, but it does have, there. there's some good podcasts on there, for sure. And on a completely separate note, Shagged, Married and Annoyed is an excellent podcast full stop, so... <laughs> okay noted actually is that the one about is that the podcast where it's like their pa- it's something to do with their parents no it's um rosie and chris ramsey Ooh. um just talking about married life and everything in between <laughs> it's yeah they're very down-to-earth people and they're just really relatable it's, yeah okay, noted good listen I will. I had to stop listening to a podcast that I like recently because, and it was to do with like, it was kind of like a, not a Joe Rogan type podcast, but it was kind of like a mindset self-development type of podcast. And I had to stop listening to it because the guy who runs the podcast is sexist. And I feel like I don't want to give him the airtime of doing it. He put out a really sexist tweet and then I was just really disappointed. And I looked at all of his guests and you had like one woman and like, in like about, 30 guests it was one woman and the topic of the podcast was related to things that women do wrong and it was meant to be ironic but I just looked at it and I just thought I just no it's not for me <laughs> gone off straight away because <laughs> it's a good podcast <laughs> but no uh do you want one more yeah go for it um Tips for trying to concentrate on practicing mindfulness when you're super stressed out about something which you're struggling to stop thinking about. Hmm. That's kind of the whole mindfulness. <laughs> like it's, it sounds really stupid, but that's like, it's going to be challenging, but the tip is being mindful. The tip is bringing yourself back to the present moment, focusing on all of the senses Um like that and I know that sounds ridiculous but that is the that is what the tip is is seeing the tip a lot and <laughs> um, anyone feel free to jump in here because I don't want to keep repeating I would say start small as well like if you're trying to be mindful and you're trying to like meditate or, or anything you're finding getting distracted I think if you set the goal and you're like oh I need to try and do this for like 20 minutes or 30 minutes you're going to get distracted a lot and for a long period of time and it's going to be really frustrating but if you can just aim to do like um in fact just literally breathing like in and out for a count of four even if you only do it once and then you get distracted and then you can come back and then you can do it twice before you get distracted and build it up even though it seems really small every time you do something that small it's still valuable you can still you're still giving yourself that distraction free time um and I tried I was telling my sister about this the other day I tried um, a walking meditation that's specifically for when you're out walking and I was like oh I'm so good at meditation I'll do a 20 minute one I'm going for an hour walk it'll be easy and it was the hardest thing I've ever done because I couldn't concentrate for 20 minutes um and I was like searching through for another one and I found one that was five minutes. And I still found that really challenging just to be present for that full five minutes. Um, but it was easier than 20 minutes. So I think just trying to give yourself a small target of, um, of being mindful and being present rather than setting your expectations like really high. Um, otherwise, whatever it is that you're getting distracted by and it is like frustrating you is just going to end up frustrating you more and then you're going to keep telling yourself that you can't do it because every time you do you get distracted mm. yeah I am um, did a mindful walking thing when I did a training day at UCLA and they, it was a, a day of training day of self-compassion and one of the things we were doing was a walking meditation and it was like a scene I can only imagine it looked like a scene from like some sort of zombie apocalypse film we all had to go outside and there were about 50 of us 
outside on the UCLA campus, sun was shining and you had to walk, basically walk like a snail, like, um, like, because you had to be mindful of all of your movements. So you were just had to walk and you had to feel like your foot slowly hitting the ground and then moving. And you would just be walking around in the square. So you just had 50 people walking around, like really, really slowly putting their feet down on the ground, really slowly, like semi-conscious for, a, I'd say, I don't really know how long it was, but it was uncomfortably long. Like me and my sister were just like, what, what are we actually doing here? I mean, it was effective, but it was a very odd experience. You forget how to walk as well. Cause when I was doing it, like one part of it was like, concentrate on your heels striking the ground and then how your foot rolls to your toes. And I was like, I can't remember how to walk now. Like, <laughs> it stressed me out. Yeah. And then don't you think you notice, you start to feel like, why does this feel indifferent on my right and my left foot? Have I got some sort of imbalance? Do I not, not walk properly? And then you then, yeah. Not, maybe a walk meditation is not a good one to start with. Um okay, thanks everyone for your questions. Keep them coming for the next one, please. And thanks guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.